welcome to Potter Revisited, episode 16. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are covering chapter 16 of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, Through the Chap Door. Or as we like to call it, Tickle the Squid. So it's kind of crazy that we're on the second last chapter of this book. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. Yeah, time flies when you're having fun. Or when you throw a time turner. (laughs) (laughs) Starting off. We have the exams. Yeah, they do some legitimate exams. They actually have to, should have been studying this whole time, turns out. Hilarious. Hilarious. So you get to hear a bit about their exam stuff, which is interesting, like turning up, making a pineapple dance in charms, uh, turning a mouse into a snuff box in transfiguration, making the forgetfulness potion in potions. I think that's a little bit of a Severus Snape sense of humor. You know, all your students are so worried they're going to forget things on the exams, and then you make the exam potion the forgetfulness potion. (laughs) I think that's a bit of a sense of humor. It just proves that Snape Snape hates children, and he just wants to see them suffer. I don't know. I think it's funny. I think it's a good joke. The forgetfulness potion. I was just wondering, what was the point of making a pineapple tap dance? Is this just like... Flip, like being kind of quirky and being like trying to make it fun or is this there's like theory being like taught here because I feel like the first year is the foundation year yeah I think it's like the magic yeah the magic behind it is being able to enchant an inanimate object to make movement and so just specifically he chose a pineapple and the movement he asked for was dancing so hypothetically, you could do other things with the objects that he just chose something quirky because he's a quirky guy. He likes to have a good time. Well, yeah, I know Flitwick likes to have everyone to have fun because um, he's the teacher that lets them play games and stuff in the yeah, class. Yeah, he's cool. So Charms is generally a fun class. But yeah, I definitely see the first couple years being like a foundation year. So they're just learning like the theory about things that will probably um, they'll learn more in depth in later years. Yeah. And it's probably most of their first times ever having any type of practical exam, right? Because, like, maybe in, like, later years at college and university, you'll do things like biology labs and stuff like that. But in primary school, there's really no such thing as a practical exam, except maybe in, like, second languages, like French or whatever. So it's kind of giving them practice in that type of exam environment, because that's entirely new. Speaking about exams, I think it's a nice touch that they added in that there's an anti-cheating quill. I think that's swell because in my mind, I'm like, how can I cheat on magic exams using magic? It's nice that that little detail was put in there for people like me who would try and think around it. Yeah, it's it's very, very funny. And like, honestly, like probably we could have used those in real life. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I ever cheated on an exam. No, I've never cheated as far as I know. No, I've never cheated on an exam. Despite being Slytherin, we are honorable. I did write a history exam in crayon once, though. That's not cheating. That's just liking to have fun. Um, One of the other really cute things that they mention briefly in this chapter is just that Fred and George are outside tickling the squid, which sounds really dirty when I say it like that, but it is in (laughs) fact. They're they're by the lake where there is a giant squid and the giant squid is in the shallows and they're poking at him in a friendly manner and the giant squid is having a laugh. And I'm like, "I, I want to go to the school that lets me just hang out with a giant squid. First of all, because that sounds fun. And second of all, I just love cephalopods. So I think that's great. I just think the squid came out as like a therapy dog almost. Like, you know, in college during exam time or midterms, they have those therapy dogs come into the school. That's what the giant squid is. Therapy squid? 
I am the squid of feelings. I love the squid of feelings. Yeah, because all this ki- the kids are like finishing up their exams and they're all uh, they're all stressed, and he just comes out being like, "Hey guys, everything's fine." So I thought I just rereading this before we recorded. I found it interesting that the last exam Harry's writing is history of magic, and he's very stressed out about Voldemort bursting in to the exam room. And it's funny because in Order of the Phoenix, history of magic is the exam Harry's writing during his owls when he has the vision of Sirius. So it kind of was almost a full circle moment where just like something's happening and it's always during the history of magic exam. Yeah. I wonder if that's because it's usually like a written exam and it's easier to like have Harry be stressed. Because they're not tested in person on how many dates they remember. (laughs) What happened in 1932 on the Wednesday in August? That was raining. Isn't it always raining in, in England? Oh yeah. I think it's pretty fun they get like a free week before they get their exam marks. Like they write their exams and then they just have a week to hang out with their friends in the summer at Hogwarts. Like that sounds amazing. It kind of reminds me of like the last couple days of school are kind of like pretty relaxed. Like I remember like I could go to school but we weren't really doing much. You're just kind of hanging out with your friends and some teachers would just like play games and stuff or... Yeah, a lot of Jeopardy. A lot of Jeopardy. So it kind of reminds me of that, but it's probably a bit nicer because since they are boarding school, it's just more time for the kids just to like hang out and not really have to. I'm assuming they're not doing classes or anything since they've kind of ended. No, because they've already written their exams. So So they're just like hanging out on the grounds and hanging out with their friends and relaxing since they've finally finished their exams, which is nice. Yeah, it sounds really nice. Like I'm fully supportive of this week of the week of fun before everyone has to go back to their parents' houses. So I thought it was interesting. Hermione um, overstudied because she, Hermione likes to talk about her exams where Ron hates it. I'm with Ron on this. I hate talking about exams after it because it gives me anxiety. Oh, I always need to do a post-op. I always need to do a post-op. Like, oh my gosh, question seven. I'm like Googling it as soon as I leave the exam hall to see if I got it right or wrong. I literally go through my exam and I mark out of how many questions, how many ones I'm positive I got right just to see what the worst, so if all the ones I was unsure about or just guessing on were wrong, how bad would I do? Just so I'm prepared for the worst case scenario. Oh God, I just like to forget about it. <laughs> As Ron said, it makes me ill. But Hermione mentions that she, oh yeah. Hermione mentions that she studied the 1637 Werewolf Code of Conduct. And I was wondering if that was kind of foreshadowing for Prisoner of Azkaban, since she is the one that found out that Lupin was a werewolf before anyone else clued in. That's interesting. I think, I feel like that might be one of the cases where the author hadn't even thought ahead to like have werewolf be an active character in the book. So they kind of were just like, what's a mythical creature that might have had an impact on wizard history and just sort of pulled that one out of a hat? Um... I mean, like, she does know werewolf stuff before Snape assigns the essay on werewolves, but I feel like this isn't so much foreshadowing as just, like, ended up being convenient. Yeah, I think, like, it's definitely a bit more unintentional foreshadowing. Like, it's just kind of, like, this really random fact that's just mentioned offhandedly, but it's just, like, knowing the context of, like, how Hermione figures out everything two books later, which I just thought it was We know fun. she's over-reading, that's for sure. Fun little tidbit. Ron being absolutely hilarious, by the way. I love how when he's talking about the likelihood of Hagrid letting Dumbledore down, and he says, Neville will play Quidditch for England before Hagrid lets Dumbledore down. And I'm like, that's a bit mean, but also kind of funny. Oh, 
Ron. So we have Harry kind of realizing, he kind of connects everything together, which is like, really, like, Harry is not a dumb kid. He's really smart. He just kind of, he just kind of connects that, like, Hagrid sends him letters. Hagrid, like, would do anything for Dumbledore. And then he just, just thinks in his head, what are the chances that Hagrid wants a dragon egg and someone just happens to have one? Like, there, there are no coincidences. I mean, he's mostly right. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't Snape, but I mean, he's really spot on besides that. I think Harry suffers from like the inability to look at things subjectively. So like he can solve a mystery, but if the person he is most suspicious of is Snape, it's always Snape that he draws in in the conclusion. He can solve all the things, but because there's always someone there who he's suspicious of, Snape or Draco, he can never objectively look at all possible suspects. He goes to get drunk. <laughs> So they go pop by Hagrid's and ask him how he got the dragon's egg. And we get the first mention of the hog's head where Hagrid says, you get weird people there. Yep. And he couldn't quite remember anything because he's being fed drinks. But I don't think, I don't think he was being forced drinks here. I've turned down drinks in bars. It's not hard. I like to think after the Wizarding War, he got some help for his drinking problem. I'm a bit worried for, no, really, I'm a bit worried for Hagrid's liver. I don't know if giants only have one or if it's, like, larger because he's a giant, therefore can handle more. I don't know a lot about, like, you know, the uh, giant biology, but I'd like to think that his organs are meant for more of things. Well, I think that since Hagrid can be, like, hit with stunner spells, but they won't infect him because of his dragon's blood, so I assume that he can probably handle, like, wizard alcohol a bit better than wizards, because I'm sure it wouldn't, he probably has a bigger liver or he's able to dilute the alcohol better. These are weird things. <laughs> These are the nitty-gritty details that really need to get uh, <laughs> investigated. These yeah. are the true secrets that matter. All these little things were like, huh. Now, well, Harry comes to the conclusion that Snape, he believes Snape was under, had the dragon's aid and gave Hagrid the cloak to find out how to get past Luffy because Hagrid, of course, spilled the beans once he was drunk. It's like Hermione says in later books that when they ever they suspect Snape, Hermione always says, like, we thought it was him, but it wasn't him. So, like, what's the likelihood that it'll be him? And it never is, except for the one time it was, but he didn't want to do it, so it doesn't count. Okay. <laughs> He's a nice guy. Um, I love the scene when they're talking about Snape and how he's going to go steal the stone, and he just walks up and he's like, people will think you're to something like every time I read that line I hear it in Alan Rickman's voice with his inflection with his well-timed spacing of the words it's perfect such a good beautiful glorious smart well if we end up discussing the movie after the next episode we'll definitely have to talk about that a bit more and just Alan Rickman's version of Snape I'll leave my prose about how great Alan Rickman is for then a review episode will be coming. And there will probably be a lot about Alan Rickman. No, I would never. So Harry's scar has been hurting a lot in this chapter. Yeah, and this is sort of where we get Harry for the first time being like, I think it means bad things are going to happen. Danger is on the way, you know? He's finally picking that up really early on, I would say, too, because this is really only the second time in his life he's experienced Voldemort. And he was kind of so young the first time that it's pretty quick. He's like, in my one case that I have looked at for evidence... I have proven that 100% of the time, my scar hurts because of Voldemort. <laughs> Small sample size, but 
correct conclusion. Well, he connects it to Voldemort because it kind of happened after he met what he assumed to be Voldemort in the forest. So I guess we move along to some more of the plot points. So Dumbledore is gone. Just when we need Dumbledore. Where is he? Out. About. Not there. Yes, you got, so McGonagall, when they go to McGonagall to tell them that, like, something's gonna happen to the stone, and she's all just like, what, how do you know about the stone? Whatever, well, Dumbledore's in London, everything's fine, don't worry about it. I was just wondering, would Dumbledore not see through this request to the Ministry? I think it seems like a very, like, cheap way to get him out of the way. Yep. But he still goes? I mean, I think he goes intentionally, knowing it's fake, right? He wants, in my mind, he wants those kids to have Harry to have the opportunity to face Voldemort early on in his education and see how that goes and he knows Voldemort's not gonna try it until he Dumbledore gets out of there so Dumbledore is like Harry has his cloak all this stuff is done he's been trained they can defeat a troll they're ready time for me to go good luck you know like that's why he left knowing it was probably fate I mean yeah it doesn't surprise me that Dumbledore takes these liberties with these children because Dumbledore but just like Dumbledore's actually a responsible adult. <laughs> Probably wouldn't go. He's like, bye kids, have fun with the mass murderer. Make good choices. Don't forget to study. What I do find interesting is that after they encounter Snape, Harry's just like, it's going to happen tonight. We, I need to go stop it. And him and that him and Ron kind of take advantage of Hermione and kind of her Slytherin tendencies where she's really able to manipulate adult characters and Ron suggests that she go find Professor Flitwick to kind of like ask him about her exam or, and stuff. Yeah, as an excuse for being at where Snape is. Which I find so funny because we've seen Hermione do this throughout the book with, with Hagrid a lot and now they're kind of using it for their own game. Although it doesn't really work. I feel like it, it does make the most sense to have Hermione do this regardless of her skills because... The easiest, like, if you look at all of them, what reason would any of them have for hanging out, like, around the teacher's lounge or whatever? And Harry and Ron will only talk to a teacher if it's about Quidditch or they think someone's about to be murdered, kind of. But Hermione would be curious about her exam. Like, she just has so many better excuses to talk to them. It's more in her character to want to hang around there. I feel like Ron and Harry don't have believable excuses. He's like, man, I'm just I'm waiting for Filch to come give me detention for no reason. Yeah, I just like I like the idea of them like using Hermione to their advantage, and it's one of like more, not really one of her like it's not really for her intelligence; it's for her manipulation, almost. Well, once they their plan doesn't work, and Harry just kind of decides that he's going to go after Snape through the trap door, and he doesn't care about anything. Ron and Hermione try and tell him like, "Oh, you, you'll get expelled. You'll lose house points," and he just not give a shit anymore. And it's like the first time he kind of loses his temper, especially with Ron and Hermione, like, like, like just the weight of the world is already on his shoulders. Like he basically says that he's, he could die and he doesn't care. Like he wants to save the world. We're one book in and he's already gone from losing house points as the end of the world to losing house points no longer matters. So the, the stakes of his life have increased greatly. Yeah, he was, like, so concerned, like, maybe, like, a chapter or two ago about losing all these house points, but now he's thrown that out of the window, he's willing to die, and this is just Harry becoming the Harry for the next few books. Like, he's just, like, all of a sudden, he's just taken on this huge task, and just 11-year-old Harry. Out to save the world. Yep. And I also noticed that Ron is the one, Harry says he's going to do this, and then after they couldn't dissuade him, Ron just simply asks if the cloak will cover three of them. And... 
Harry tries to tell Ron and Hermione they don't have to come with him. Like, he's going to do this because he has to, or he feels like he has to. But this is kind of the moment where it kind of solidifies the Golden Trio that, like, Ron and Hermione are in this too. Like, they reference this in Half-Blood Prince at the end of the book where, like, when they say they'll come with them to find the Horcruxes, that Harry says you don't have to. But he's like, like, we've always known that we'd be doing this. It's just like they've already sealed their fate. Like, they're a part of this now. And there's no going back. And I particularly love that Ron doesn't just say... I hope the cloak covers both of us. He knows Hermione's in it. It's book one and he's already like, Hermione is in this too. I don't even need to look at her. The three of us. It is a correct assumption. Really solidifying their friendship and just like knowing that this is just the beginning of everything of all of them being together and big friendship moment. I also like that there's a little bit of like Hermione smugness in this when she's like, I'm not worried about getting expelled. They can't. I got 112% on my exam. And I'm like, yeah, girl, like if you're going to be really smart and do that well, you might as well take advantage of the perks and, you know, break the rules once in a while. A very Slytherin thing to say if not that Hermione's a Slytherin, but she she does have her moments and I'm very proud of them. I mean, 112%, like I don't, how do you even get that? Like she just writing things that were like weren't necessary. Oh, either there's a bonus question, sometimes there's a bonus question, or if the teacher made a mistake on the exam and she corrected it, some teachers who aren't assholes will be like, oh, wow, they were confident enough that they knew this, that they didn't try and answer this incorrect question. So she could have done that. Alternatively, maybe there was like an essay question that was like out of 20 marks and her essay was so long they gave her bonus marks and she had no mistakes. That sounds like Hermione. Well, after this, we lead into them waiting for everyone to go to bed before they put on the cloak to go to the Forbidden Corridor. And Neville catches them. And this is kind of Neville's big moment where the whole bug, Ron and Harry have been telling him, you got to stand up for yourself. You got to do like the right thing or whatever. And so he stands up to them and tells them, like, I don't want you losing more house points for us. I don't want you guys getting in trouble. I don't want you guys getting hurt. Like, you, you got to stay here. And... This is like him standing up to his friends. And even Ron says, Neville, you're not supposed to stand up to us. It's supposed to be for other people, like not your friends. But like, what do we think led Neville to like this big moment? Well, I mean, I think part of it is realizing that the little bit of advice people gave him, stand up for yourself. You need to have morals and know what you believe in and stand by it. And I think part of it is him maybe feeling like the things he's gotten in trouble for kind of have been like he maybe wants in a way to prove himself to them like show them how brave he is because he's standing up to someone and it's them like because like as it's said later it's it's a lot harder to stand up to people you like and respect than to tell draco malfoy to (laughs) go kick rocks (laughs) yeah go kick rocks malfoy (laughs) i just think his thought process must have been something along the lines of maybe seeing the way people were treating Harry, Hermione, and Ron after the incident that lost all the house points and almost wanting to help them, thinking they have such a desire to get in trouble, they can't help themselves. So I'm going to help them by telling them not to do it because what's best for them is not to lose these points so people won't ostracize them. And I think Neville is the person who's kind of the most ostracized in Gryffindor most of the time, probably knows how that feels. And being the one who knows how it feels thinks, oh, they couldn't handle this. They can't keep up with this. It's too much for them. We need to have them back in everyone's good books. They can't continue to be isolated like this. It's not healthy. I think the last time Neville like got in trouble is because he was trying to look out for Harry and he got caught. 
And in the detention, he probably saw how much the forest affected Harry. So I just don't think it was not just about house points and like a social stigma. I just think he was trying to avoid them getting hurt or getting in that situation again. But of course, he doesn't know the whole picture. So it's just a very sweet, just like he's looking out for his friends, despite the fact that what they will, if they get angry at him, what they think of him, he's like risking it all just to like look out for them, which is such a Neville thing to do. Do you think if they had taken the time to explain to Neville what was happening, say in five minutes, as quick as they can, do you think he would have gone with them? If they'd said, listen, what we saw in the forest was Voldemort. He's trying to get something that will make him immortal. I think Snape's helping him. Dumbledore's gone tonight. Tonight is the night they're doing it. Everyone will die. You know what I mean? Do you think Neville would say, oh no, that's terrible. Okay, I'll help. Or do you think he'd say, okay, good luck, go do it. Or do you think he'd still say no? Where do you think he'd land? I don't know. I think he's first thing would kind of be like, like, oh, tell a teacher, like, this is bad. And then they'd be like, well, we already did. Like, they're not going to do anything. I feel like he'd be more comfortable to go with them since it's a group, but I just don't think he, he'd, like, come to that conclusion on his own. I just don't think he's as confident. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on how he is told. Like, I think if Harry and Ron are just quickly like, this is the thing we gotta do and we gotta go, don't get in the way, he would be like, I'm staying here, you guys shouldn't be doing this, but I'm not going. But if Hermione did it in her slightly Slytherin way, where she's like, Neville... You know, being a Gryffindor sometimes means taking risks to protect the people you love. And we need to do this because we need to protect the people we love and no one else seems to want to help us. You know, and then I think she could get Neville to be like, I want to be a Gryffindor. I want to be brave. I want to help the people I love. I think he would go with them. Yeah, I definitely think it could swing either way because we know um, with the DA and stuff, like Neville didn't really need any convincing to go to the Department of Mysteries to help Harry. Like, he didn't even know if Sirius was innocent or not, but Harry's just like, we need to go. And he was just like, I'll, I'll do it. I'll be there with you. Yeah. But that is slightly different Neville. Yeah. I mean, he, this is book one Neville. He's, book one Neville's not going to the Ministry of Magic quite yet. Yeah, I don't think he was as confident yet, but I feel like he could have probably been spied to go with them. But yeah, it just kind of depends how he was kind of like told about it. I think it basically, their assumption is what would sway him. So like if Harry or Ron, or if they were like, Neville, we're going to do this thing, don't get in our way. He would assume there's no way he's a part of it. And he would be like, don't do it. Or he'd stay behind and be upset about it. But if it was said like Neville, if he was almost included in it just by being awake and they're like, okay, Neville, this is what we're all going to do. It immediately assumed that he was doing it. I think he would be like, oh, they think I'm a person who would do this. Then yes, yes, I am. Yeah. Their assumptions of him, I think, is what would determine what he was in that instance. I also feel like at this moment, Harry and Ron, at least, think of Neville too much as a burden to be useful at this time. Like, they both like Neville as a friend, but I don't think they have the confidence in them for what they need to do. As Harry's on kind of a time crunch, so he just doesn't want to spend any time, like, diddle-daddling. He wants to, like, go catch Snape. And I just think Ron and them don't have, they have, they're like as a friend, but I don't think they have confidence in his magical abilities. So I don't think that Ron or Harry would be likely to include him. Yeah. It also seems kind of dumb that like, it's really important and they might all die. They probably could have just been like, Neville, we're doing a thing, but if we're not back tomorrow, we're dead and Snape did it and the Philosopher's Stone. Just tell Dumbledore they're dead, Snape did it, Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> you know, like the, in case... 
Yeah, they couldn't even ask Neville to go um, send Dumbledore an owl, which Harry ends up asking Hermione to do later on. Just telling them that they're going down there and they might need help. Death, Snape, Philosopher's Stone. I don't know if Neville could remember all that, though. (laughs) At this point, at least. He's afraid of Snape. He definitely remembered the Snape part. So Hermione casts a full body bind curse on Neville. It just seems so over the top. As we talk about Hermione and her like dark tendencies where she just kind of goes over the top for anything to get gets in her way. This just seems like a very like big thing to do. <laughs> she full on like immobilizes Neville for who knows how long because they're down there for hours. So how long is he just on the floor there? <laughs> this is sort of how I see that. They haven't learned any spells like that because it's first year and it's kind of dangerous. But we know Hermione's going to be reading at above her reading level because she's so curious about magic. So I feel like she didn't take out like beginner's guide to slightly combative and defensive spells. I feel like she took out a more advanced book. And so she doesn't have the in-between like just a rope appears and ties you up spell that like doesn't hurt at all. She doesn't read, she didn't read about that one because that's an easier book and she probably skipped a few and was like, oh, I want to learn about these cool spells. So because she skipped that step in like literature, she doesn't have that in-between spell. So it's either the things she learned in class, lifting up a feather with her wand or the things she read about in books, which are going to be more advanced and probably a little bit more risky. But no one wants to read about like the tie them up spell, make them trip over their shoelaces spell is nowhere near as cool as the full body blind curse. Yeah, I guess. I just feel like it's just Hermione being over the top again, where she's like, we need to stop Neville from following us or telling anyone. Okay, just mobilize him for hours. Go big or go home, right? Yeah, that's Hermione. (laughs) So I guess they go to the corridor under the visibility cloak and they run to Peeves. And Harry has this brilliant idea. To pretend to be the Bloody Baron, which is hilarious because we know the Bloody Baron. I wish this was in the movie. Yeah, is the only ghost that Peeves is really afraid of. The only thing that Peeves is really afraid of. So it was beautiful that Harry in that moment, classic Harry, good in the moment, comes up with it and follows through. I want to hear the Daniel Radcliffe Bloody Baron impersonation. I think it would have been glorious. And I just love how Peeves goes from his like normal self to like this very subservient, like, people pleaser elbows being like oh sorry your bloodiness sir so moving on they distract fluffy they go all go down into the trap door and land in some devil snare which leads to this big moment where harry and ron are trapped and hermione's like oh no an evil plant i know book things book things say light but i don't have light because I didn't bring the matches. Ron tells her to light a fire and she's like, there's no wood. And classic Ron. (laughs) You a witch or not? Yeah. See, this is one of those beautiful moments where Ron is properly what he needs to be. That gap between the wizarding world and the history of it and these people who grew up in the muggle world, right? He needs to remind them they're magic. He needs to remind them that there are magical solutions to these problems because they forget Yes. I also think it shows that Hermione isn't good under pressure. Like, this is not how she, she isn't, she's good in, like, like settings where it's everything's controlled. But anything that she needs to think quickly, she tends to panic instead of being good under pressure like Harry and Ron. And we see this a lot in the earlier books where anything that's kind of, like, really crazy is going on. She can't quite, like, she's probably the best at magic out of the three of them, but she can't think. 
as fast as Harry and Ron would, where they just act. She can't think of what to do properly. Yeah. In a controlled situation, like an exam, she will always outdo everyone. But if the exam's involved, also someone might jump through the door and throw something at you partway through and you need to defend yourself, she would no longer do well at that exam because she just, she, she needs to be able to focus on the things she learned. Like she's an avid studier. She pays attention. And I think if something's dividing her attention or unexpected and she's not fully prepared, she's kind of doomed, especially early on. Yeah, I do actually like this are you which or not moment being um, kind of coming full circle in the last book where she tells Ron, are you a wizard or not? When they're at the Mumping Willow in Deathly Hollows. Full moment of Ron and Hermione kind of questioning each other, but also kind of reminding each other that you are a wizard slash witch. You can do this. I also uh, love Ron just being his very full sacrificing Gryffindor self when we get to the next task. Yep, so they go through the keys, which... Perfect for Harry. What is Harry good at? The one thing so far, Quidditch, seeking. Here's his secret task. But the chessboard was like, this is what it's been leading up to Ron's moment. Ron is really good at chess as we've been discovering. And he's also really good under pressure and he's good at strategic thinking. Ron asks for some time to think about the chessboard and he does it. And he is also, like you said, a full sacrifice in Gryffindor where he realizes the only way to win is to sacrifice himself. And he's just like, that's chess. And he's like, fully ready to die for the cause. Yeah, I it's. I mean, he's 11, you know? Sometimes you forget and you're like, the world is at stake. Of course he'll play chess to the death. But then you're like, he's 11. Like it's mind boggling, but he is such a Gryffindor in that moment. He's like, I'm out guys. And it's also interesting that like the way he played the game, it wasn't Hermione or Harry who was, you know, he played it to win, but also to protect them, which is beautiful. It's really great friendship move. Good work, Ron Weasley. So they leave Ron passed out or dead. Who knows? They didn't check on him like they did in the movie. In the book, they just go on to the next door and there's, they cut this out of the movie, but there is a troll here, which was Quirrell's thing that's already been knocked out. And I was wondering what they, how would they have done this if the troll hadn't been already taken care of? Because Harry notes that it's bigger than the mountain troll that he dealt with at Halloween. Uh, yeah, they've got a couple of options. One would be to go back and grab the brooms and just fly by it. I mean, trolls are dumb, right? Isn't that like the thing? You could steal a couple of those flying keys and release them in the room with the troll. And while he's confused about that, sort of sneak past him. Uh, Hermione knows that you can drop large things on their heads now because it happened with the first troll. So hypothetically, they could Wingardium Leviosa something slightly larger onto his head. Yeah, those are my top ideas. Hermione could use the full body blind curse. She just learned that. I wonder if she could do it on a troll. She could light him on fire with her blue flames. Oh my god, classic Hermione. <laughs> light it on fire. Anyway, so the next kind of part is Snape's part. And I find it really interesting that Snape doesn't actually rely on magic, it's logic. Which is very Snape to me. Because he... For the majority of the series, he's an imposing character, but no one would put him as one of the most powerful wizards because he doesn't act like it. Like, he doesn't carry himself in a way that's that feels that way. And it's like, the subtleties, I think, are things that he really appreciates. Like, when he talks about why he likes potions, he talks about the beautiful subtlety of it. And I think that's just the way he is. He would rather someone who's not this big, showy, I did big, beautiful, glorious magic. He wants someone who's going to stop and think about it. 
and because he would. I think that's the Slytherin in it too, because he knows kind of the person that's coming to get the stone is kind of um, not someone that wants to stop and think about something. It's someone that's just like trying to push through to the next part, kind of like how Harry is. He just wants to get through the next part as the Gryffindor in him. He just wants to go ahead. But Hermione's like, no, this is this is this is great. Let's just stop and think about it for a minute. And that's kind of what they think. I also love the beautiful subtlety of it because Snape made those potions and he also made the fire that blocks both exits or the entrance and the exit. And you got to think that's some complicated defensive magic to do those fire, different types of magic fire that you can be immune to with different potions and then brew those potions. I mean, he somehow managed to entwine sort of his love of defensive dark arts magic with potions in order to do it while also making it a logic thing. And it's just such a beautiful snake moment the way he makes this like tapestry of his passions and his interests and what he values and puts that forward as opposed to just a potion activity or just I like defensive art so here's defensive thing or just logic like it he had to excel at all three things in order to create it even though you only need to understand the logic in order to beat it yeah but it was very interesting but uh wrapping up like this part before we get into the more dark Dumbledore theory. I just love how this chapter ends with it being like, there was someone there, but it wasn't Snape. And how it opens in the next chapter. Oh, I love it. The bait and switch, like, it's amazing. Yeah, it wasn't Snape and it wasn't Voldemort, which I love because they're like, those are your two suspects. Who could it be? We didn't like openly suspect anyone else. It's Hagrid, like. (laughs) Come have a drink, Harry. It could have been. I don't know what accent that was. I'm so sorry. <laughs> pirate? Sounds like Apparently pirate. Apparently Hagrid's a pirate now. Yo ho ho in a bottle of rum. I mean, where's the lie? All right, moving on. We, You had this theory that you've read about before. I know I'm not, I'm not the first person to have this theory. But, and there's a really, really beautiful multi-part series on the YouTube channel Super Carlin Brothers where they discuss what, of which of the things that occurred in the novels occurred intentionally as part of a plan Dumbledore had. And they go into it for every single book, which is beautiful. But I uh, really love the theory, and I've read it a couple places, specifically for what Dumbledore had planned in this book. Because there are too many, like, weird coincidences. Like, for example, the first time they get in trouble sort of sneaking out, it's also Neville. So it's the four of them. And then Dumbledore is the one who asks each of the teachers to, that end up putting in one of the obstacles. He decides which teachers to ask for obstacles. And then by some weird chance of luck... The four tasks are perfectly tailored to the four specific, obvious, well-known skills of each of Neville, Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Neville's good at herbology, and early on they have already mentioned that Neville excels at herbology. And there's a plant. The first task is a plant, which I love because the idea is that Neville could have easily have been part of the golden quadro, you know? So that was there because he had thought and intended for Neville to get there. And then Harry's only skill set in the entire novel is getting on a broom and chasing a little gold thing. And conveniently, one of the tasks is get on a broom and chase a little gold thing. And then Ron 
who is mediocre at most of the schooly things that go on in the first book, does kick Major Butt at chess. How convenient that there is a chess activity. And then Hermione, I mean, it's logic. There's a logic test for Hermione, but that's perfect because there's nothing attacking you. There's no rush. So it gives her time to stop and think it through. And it doesn't involve any complex remembering of magic. It's just pure logic, which Hermione has probably been using effectively for her whole life. So it's too perfect not to have been entirely intentional. Mm -hmm. I think we've mentioned it a few times in this book, just about how much was intentional on Dumbledore's behalf. And we've kind of referenced this theory, but this is kind of where we're discussing it a bit more in detail. But like, what... Dumbledore if he had planned stuff like what did he plan and how much was it him kind of working behind the scenes so you can look at different elements if you keep in mind that Dumbledore wanted those kids to get down there to face Voldemort a lot of other things sort of come into place like the fact that the mirror wasn't moved or used to hide the stone until after Dumbledore knew Harry had seen the mirror and Dumbledore had explained to Harry how the mirror works. So they primed Harry to use this tool and then they put this tool between Harry and Voldemort knowing Harry could use it. Even things like the fact that music is what happens to calm Fluffy and Hagrid happened to give Harry a flute. That's such a random gift choice. Like Harry's shown no interest in music. He... Do we know if Hagrid whittled it? Like, it's just here is a nice wooden flute is a weird gift to give Harry. But it makes sense if Dumbledore, knowing Fluffy gets put to sleep by music and knowing Fluffy is going to be one of the obstacles for Harry, says, you know, Hagrid, I heard Harry always wanted a flute. Real casual, like, just to make sure Harry had a small, musical, portable way to put Fluffy to sleep. And um, it's interesting because it just fits together so nicely with the way Dumbledore is and how everything falls into place. Like, Harry gets the cloak back right before Dumbledore goes away to go deal with the ministry thing with a note saying, like, use me well. He literally was like, here you go. Time for Harry to have all of the things I've taught him how to use so he can go fight Voldemort, this 11-year-old child, and his friends. I do appreciate that it seems like McGonagall is not a part of this shenanigan. She seemed, like, when they ask about the stone, she's like, nope, don't worry about it, it's fine. She's either, she knows Dumbledore's up to no good and is like, I want no part of this, Harry, don't do it, don't do it, or she has no idea, but she would not stand for it. I'm assuming she has kind of no idea, because I feel like if she had an inkling that Dumbledore was, like, setting up children to go fight Voldemort, she'd be like, what the actual fuck, Dumbledore? She would re-break his nose. (laughs) Think of the children. I also think, in regards to, like, people telling them not to do it, Snape was like, don't do it. I think Dumbledore is all fine with dangling these children in their deaths just because it'll help Harry learn about fighting Voldemort. But Snape is like, I will expel you. Like, your lives will be over. Do not do this. I think Snape doesn't want them to go and fight Lord Voldemort. He doesn't. And Well, Snape's whole thing is he's trying to keep Harry alive and Dumbledore just keeps putting him in danger on purpose. And he's like, he's like, I'm trying to get it not dead. Could you stop trying to have it killed? Like, Snape doesn't know Dumbledore's like actively like leading Harry to death. He's just like, oh, my whole life's purpose is now to save this child. And Dumbledore keeps trying to get him murdered. Sending it into danger. Yeah, it's um kind of ridiculous. Why Dumbledore? I don't know. Why? 
but Snape's trying to keep Harry not dead. I would like to remind you all. Lovely Snape out here looking out for the children. <laughs> he might be an asshole, but at least he he's not trying to get them killed actively. And apparently that is... I mean, the bar's really... Dumbledore sets the bar really low. He is... Dumbledore... You know how some people can limbo? Dumbledore just, like, lays down on the ground and, like, wiggles under the limbo. Nobody else could possibly, you know? So, along the lines of this theory, I have some questions. One of which being... Were the other... Because that means Dumbledore told each of the professors who created an obstacle specifically what to do. Like, hey, I need you to make a chess set. Hey, I need you to do magic flying keys in a broom. Hey, I need you to do this. Like, very specific. Which makes me think that they are all, like, probably pretty curious. Like, the teachers are like, why is he asking me to help and then having it be so particular? Like, I gotta think that's a little suspicious to the teachers. Yeah, especially because there's probably other ways that it could have been protective instead of doing, like, five different chambers with different obstacles. I feel like there's other security measures that could have been taken. But they're very specific. Very, very specific. I need you to have it be a chess game. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's because... Yeah, Sherman Gongle was like, what the actual... What? <laughs> like, a chess game? Like, I feel like Sprout is like, that's fine. Devil's Snare. Kill the attacker. Whatever. But McGonagall being like, what? <laughs> Chess set. I mean, he probably had to be really specific with some of them because you have to be kind of specific about, it's like Quidditch, but with keys. But I don't see Flitwick like questioning him too much. He's like, oh, that's fun. You know, like I feel like Flitwick would be like, oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, I'll do that. And I think like McGonagall might question the chess set. Like that's oddly specific, but he can say, but because it's not just transfiguration, it involves a certain kind of thinking and forethought and planning ahead. And chess is this partic particular kind of thinking. And so he could kind of justify it because chess is a thing that's sort of often assigned to like geniuses and people with really high intellect. But I feel like the reason Snape's is like good for Hermione because logic, but still not too fine-tuned, is that Snape would be kind of heckin' suspicious if he was like, I need you to have a... Who knows the most about Hermione Granger quiz be the one of the tests to get to the stone for no reason, uh, including a fingerprint reader for Hermione Granger. Like, he had to be a bit vague because I think Snape would be like, no. Like, he was like, I need you to create a logic riddle. And Snape was like, okay, I'll create a logic riddle. You know, and then he added in his little, his potions and he added in his, but I don't think he could be that specific because the specifics of it weren't that tailored to Hermione. It was just a general non-magical logic. But uh, Snape would have been like, you, I'm sorry, one more time. You want me to have a what now? Uh, who can best draw Hermione Granger while looking at Hermione Granger? Magic spell to get through the door. Hermione Granger lookalike contest to get through the fire. <laughs> like, <laughs> he would be suspicious. That's all I'm saying. All right, do you have any um, final, I guess, final notes on this chapter before we wrap it up? Well, I guess the one thing I'm unsure about, about the plan, is whether or not Dumbledore intended for Hagrid to let it slip to Voldemort how to get past Fluffy. Like, Hagrid getting drunk in a bar is pretty obvious, but I wonder... I think it's interesting though that it happens in the hog's head because we know that Aberforth works at the hog's head yeah so I wonder how much of like a how I mean I don't think Aberforth would help Dumbledore in any way I don't think he would have been a part of us but he kind of he knows who Hagrid is and Dumbledore could just be like oh was Hag Hagrid was in the hog's head this night who was he sitting with or what was going on there 
yeah, I just think that it's it's one of the questionable parts because I'm sure they could uh, Voldemort probably could have figured out how to get past Fluffy sort of on his own, or he could have manipulated Hagrid into giving it up easily. Like that's fully believable, but I don't know if Hagrid intentionally did it like if Dumbledore was like hey Hagrid if someone asks you about weird creatures you should totally tell them about Fluffy and how music puts Fluffy to sleep because that's really cool I don't know I feel like that's not I, I feel like it's not in Hagrid's character to let it slip up I feel like it was more an accident but I think Dumbledore was kind of aware this would happen he didn't have to tell Hagrid yes please do this he just had to make sure the circumstances were right for Hagrid to do it yeah he just had to keep an eye on Hagrid because he like he knows Hagrid's weaknesses and and what, like, he knows Hagrid would never willingly betray him because he has Hagrid drinking that Kool-Aid. But I definitely think he's aware of Hagrid's weaknesses, so he'd have tabs on him. So it just makes sense to me that it's at the hog's head where Aberforth works, where Aberforth's bartending. So he just happens to probably find out that Hagrid was playing cards with this guy and got a dragon. And he's like, huh, that's suspicious. What a coinky dink. <laughs> I also, like, so the, um, I guess the summation, the main point of this Dumbledore's sort of plotting for Harry, this 11-year-old boy, to meet Voldemort is Dumbledore knowing that at some point Harry is going to have to fight Voldemort and win in order for this war to be over is already priming it and preparing Harry for war. And so everything he puts out to, to Harry in this book is to get him to face Voldemort because he wants Harry to start fighting early on to learn how to face Voldemort, to get used to the consequences of losing or winning against Voldemort and to test him and see how good he is in that type of situation. Yeah, I definitely think he wants to test Harry because Voldemort does offer to bring his parents back. Like, obviously he's lying and he tries to his whole, like, there's no good and evil spiel with him. And this is kind of like, I think Dumbledore needed Harry to come face to the face to the guy that murdered his parents just to see how he would do and how like how successful like Voldemort be at trying to manipulate him. And we definitely will see in later books and we'll bring it up the other things Dumbledore does that are probably questionable just because they help prepare Harry for what is to come. I think we'll especially see that a lot in Chamber of Secrets, which I'm looking forward to. But also in his choice of teacher in Azkaban. <laughs> but um but the point is, it's a great theory because it acknowledges that Dumbledore is manipulative and conniving and willing to put a lot of people's lives at risk in order to basically raise Harry and train Harry for what he wants Harry to do. From day one, year one, he's like, all right, how am I going to get Harry to kill Voldemort? Yeah, so I'll link the YouTube channel in the description so if anyone else wants to watch the series and see about the theory and let us know what you think about the theory since it's very interesting. I love anything that really acknowledges that Dumbledore is not, he's not Gandalf. He's not this pure, beautiful... Yeah, as you've seen in this podcast, we are not Dumbledore fans and we definitely lean towards that Dumbledore is a manipulator and like a puppet, pulling puppet strings the entire series. And hopefully that's all what you're here for, because I think every episode. Yeah, I mean, there are things we like about him. I like when he's kooky and he's talking about candy or being goofy. Being eccentric. But uh, I don't think he goes about this in the right way. Like, there are, there are the right things to do, and there are the wrong ways to do them. And preparing Harry to fight Voldemort one day is the right thing to do. Manipulating him, putting him at risk when he's young, and basically to hell with it, the education of everyone else at Hogwarts is not the right way to go about training Harry. Exactly. All right, wrapping this up, 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Potter Revisited and join us next time as we discuss the final chapter in Philosopher's Stone, The Man with Two Faces. And do let us know if you'd like to see a movie review since I think we're pretty leaning towards doing a movie review since I love the first movie a lot. If you have any questions or thoughts about today's episode or about the theory we discussed, you can contact us across social media at Potter Revisited or you can email us at Potter Revisited podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.